Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here. It's good to see a couple of new faces. We appreciate you being here, and we hope that you will come back and visit again with us. Be here every Sunday. You're more than welcome each and every week. Very grateful for those that are watching remotely, whether live or a little bit later on. You're more than welcome to come join us here as we seek to follow Jesus any opportunity that you have. Now, the title of today's lesson is Fly Here, Fly Now. And as you might can see from a little subtopic there, this is gratefully stolen from my son, Chris Wright. He lives down in Memphis and he had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to speak on a Sunday evening and we watched that down at Great Oaks Church of Christ in Memphis. And I biased, my biased opinion, it was such a, a great idea of a topic and so uh, wonderfully done, I completely stole it. I put a couple of my uh, stamps on it, but uh, I wanted to share his thoughts with Lindsay Avenue because they were so very, very appropriate, I think, for us as well as for the congregation down in Memphis. Why here, why now? The outline of what we're going to go through here uh, is shown here. Jesus came at the right time. Then a question, why did God put me in Nashville? Why did God put me on the earth here in 2021? And then how did I do with the previous year, with the past year? So let's look first that Jesus came at just the right time. Jesus' arrival was perfectly timed. Perfectly timed. In fact, we read that Jesus came in the fullness of time. God's plan waited, if you will, until it was just the appropriate uh, coming together of many, many different contributors that made it a great, perfect time for Jesus to be on the earth. The first of these would be, I would suggest, Roman roads. So here's a map. Rome had spent the previous hundred years or so before Jesus came building roads. Roads are such a wonderful thing to have. Uh, because without roads, how do you get places? For our perspective today, imagine how you would get to different places without an interstate. Some of us are old enough to remember there not being an interstate. I remember when Interstate 65 stopped at Harding Place. It didn't come all the way downtown. If you wanted to get from south to Louisville, you had to get off and figure out how to get through back roads without some kind of GPS. Roads are a wonderful thing. In the same way that interstates really transformed America, any road transformed the ancient world. And so you can see on here, all these red lines are roads that the Romans built, the primary roads that they built that really kind of enabled you to get from over here to over there. So the world in the first century had the opportunity. James, it's so great to see you back. Brother James has just come in. Welcome back from Nigeria, my brother. The Roman roads allowed people in that first century to get from one place to the other. And that was really for the first time in history. So point number one of why it was such a great time for Jesus to come was the investments that the Romans made in roads. In the second place, there was more or less a universal language. In the first century, there were two primary languages, again, in the Roman Empire. The blue is where Greek was the predominant language, and that included the area, as you can tell on the map here, where the land of Israel would be over in the bottom right corner. And then all of this area of Egypt and modern-day Greece and Turkey, 
The red is where Latin was the primary language that was spoken. That was the Roman language, Latin. But almost everyone knew enough Greek in that day and time to get along. And so a common language meant that the message of Jesus would be fairly easily spread as you went along those Roman roads. So for the first time really in history, you had the ability to get from point A to point B, but you also had the ability to be understood when you got there. I mean, before 100, 200 BC, before Alexander the Great had spread Greek culture and the Greek language everywhere, you might go 50 miles in one direction and not have anybody that really knew what you were talking about. And you might have to start with, you know, rock and point at a rock and figure out, I mean, you'd have to learn a new language every time you went someplace. In the first century world, the time God sent Jesus, you had a common language that was widespread almost across the Roman Empire, the world that then was. You also, in the third place, had the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. If you look, this is a map again of that Roman Empire, 117 AD. Inside the area that's shaded, the, the dark reddish color, this is the Roman Empire that was the big accomplishment that Rome made was that about for a 200 year period, you didn't have any real big uh, wars. You think, well, what's the big accomplishment of that? Before then, you had wars all the time. You had wars all the time. You might be trying to live your life in your little village or your bigger town, and here comes an army that just wipes you out. The accomplishment that Rome got into place with really Caesar Augustus, Octavian, and then all the Caesars afterward, as many bad things as went on during this period, the good thing was the Roman Empire allowed people to live in peace until pretty much the end of the second century AD and then it kind of fell apart. So think about these three things, right? Roads, you can get from A to B. A universal language, when you get there, you can be understood. And then see here, you're not gonna be attacked when you get there. There's not wars that are gonna wipe out the people who are trying to make their living. Three big important things. And the fourth one, for our purposes, of the spread of the gospel, the spread of the good news about Jesus. Why it's so important that Jesus came in the perfect fullness of time will be this, the Jewish diaspora, the spread. Think of dispersion when you see that word, the spreading out of the Jewish people. Again, looks like almost the same map, but not quite. Here, down at the bottom right corner, you've got the land of Israel centered on where Judea was, where Jerusalem was, where the Jewish homeland was. And all these lines show where a lot of Jewish people spread out through the Roman Empire. This was greatly uh, encouraged or greatly helped by the common language. Most Jewish people had picked up a whole lot of Greek. So when they traveled to these other cities, they weren't speaking Hebrew, having to try to figure out what language their new neighbors were speaking. When they went to other parts of the Roman Empire, they had that common language and you had peace. Now, why is this so important to have had the spread of the Jewish people? In that first century, almost no matter where you went, Jewish people had already gotten there. And the Jewish people had spread their 
uh, familiarity with the one God who created the universe. The people in the town might be pagans, but they knew of a people who worshipped one God who they said had made everything. And that was actually fairly attractive to people that just got tired of the immorality, who got tired of so many gods, who got tired of the inconsistent behavior they saw in people living in the pagan world. And so Judaism, the idea of the Jewish religion, had been attractive to people for some time. It attracted Gentiles to come into the synagogues. When Christians first started spreading throughout the Roman world on those roads that Rome had made, with that common language that had spread throughout the empire, without being attacked because there were no wars, they found a receptive audience who knew about the God that had made heaven and earth in almost every city. And they found a receptive audience who would listen to the good news. So the Jewish spread throughout the Roman Empire was essentially like fertilizer or spreading seeds waiting for the fertilizer that would cause them to grow. Four important factors. Each one of these amplified and accelerated the spread of the good news in the first century. The interesting thing to me that my son had brought up is that for each one of these, there's a common factor that's similar in our day and time. For the Roman roads, how about jumbo jets? Really and truly, we've already got roads, but in the last 40 to 50 years, it has become possible really to fly anywhere in the world within about a day. I've, I've been fortunate enough or cursed enough, take it as you will, that I've been to China twice. That would have been almost impossible to think of 50 years ago. I've been down to Australia. I've been to Brazil. I've been to Africa. How did I get there? It wasn't getting on an interstate. It wasn't getting on Franklin Road that you got there. It was through these jumbo jets. We have the same freedom of access as a society to get wherever you might want to go by hopping on an airplane. In terms of a universal language, really and truly, English, more or less, whether it's fair or not, is a fairly universal language. Almost, no matter where I have gone, there's been somebody nearby that could speak English. Other than the time I was in China and the taxi driver dropped us off, not at the train station that we thought he was taking us to, but at a police station. It had station in there. And so we were dumped in the middle of, we didn't know where, trying to find the train station to get to someplace else. <laughs> Fortunately, we heard somebody say an inappropriate word that wasn't English some distance away, so we went running because at least we knew they spoke English. English gives us the ability to carry the message of the good news almost anywhere, and we can't get almost anywhere. How about the Pax Romana? Well, since World War II, back in the 40s, we really haven't had widespread warfare. There's been plenty of war, there's been plenty of, of aggression, plenty of people who have died in military conflicts, but it hasn't been an immense issue. It's been localized. I don't mean to diminish the, the heartache and the loss and the tragedy of the fights that have happened, but nothing on the scale of World War II or World War I or any of those kind of things. So we've had really no large wars in about 80 years, meaning that you can get from, most of the time, 
point A to point B without any kind of trouble along the way. And in terms of the Jewish dispersion, there are Christians all over the world. Christians in almost every country. So the idea of the familiarity of the good news, the idea that there have been Christians who have already probably been to where you're going, that you can find brothers and sisters wherever you go, is very similar in a lot of ways. I haven't even mentioned the availability of the internet. You know, for all I know, somebody's watching us here this morning on some other part of the world. That gives you, again, the ability to reach without maybe even getting on the jet. So we truly have many, many similarities to that first century when Jesus came in the fullness of time. So let me ask a second question. Jesus came at just the right time. Why am I here in Nashville? Why did God put me in Nashville? You're in Nashville today. Why did God put you in Nashville? Well, this is going to be, I think, the most important point of the morning. If you fall asleep from hereafter, please remember this. If you only remember one thing this afternoon, tomorrow, this next week, I would ask this to be what you remember. Please focus on this. God put you here in Nashville today. God is the reason behind everything. God puts you in Nashville right now. What does he want me to do here in Nashville today, tomorrow, this next week. I'm here for a reason. What is it? Why am I here in Nashville? How can I help show love to my neighbors? Let's look at a few thoughts here, a few passages. This is Ephesians chapter 2. We read here, chapter 2, verse 10, For we are His, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus Four good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepared good works for me long before the world was ever made. If God created things for me to do, I ought to be looking for them. I should have my eyes open looking for these opportunities to do good things that the Bible tells me God made for me to do. How detailed is that preparation? You know, is, is the preparation that God planned before the world began so much that if I see someone with a flat tire, that person had the flat tire and God has providentially maneuvered me to be right there when that flat tire occurred so I can help them out? I don't know. I don't know how much detail the planning went for all of that, right? Because I don't think the world is mechanical where we don't have any choices, but there are plenty of opportunities God's made for me, for me to do good things. It's a very, very good question, I believe, that we need to ask. What has God created in terms of good works that I need to be looking for, that I need to be engaging in, that I need to be doing? Here's another passage. Look at this one. This is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. My dear friends, you always obeyed when I was with you. Now that I am away, you should obey even more. So work with fear and trembling to discover what it really means to be saved or to work out your own salvation. Some translations refer to that. God works in us today. How much? I don't know. I doubt really that God has put up a billboard that says, Gene, do this with an arrow. 
right? I don't know that there's a miracle. There's going to be a billboard on I-65 that I will see that gets rid of the advertisement tomorrow morning and it's a personal message to me. But we have no reluctance at all that says the devil's out working harder than they do. We even warn people, beware, the devil's out there as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We don't have any issue saying be careful because the devil's after you this next week. Well, if the devil's after me this week, sure, surely we shouldn't be having a reluctance to suggest that God is out there this week and that God has plans and God is giving me opportunities to do good this next week. I don't think that's that big a stretch. I really don't. God is working to He prepared things for us to do here in Nashville. Colossians 4, verses 2 and 3. He says to the people in Colossae, be persistent in prayer and keep alert as you pray. Keep alert as you pray, giving thanks to God. At the same time, pray also for us so that God will give us a good opportunity to preach his message about Jesus. When Paul writes this letter to the church at Colossae, he's in jail. He's in prison. He's in jail. I don't Imagine that's exactly where he expected to be. I don't imagine that's where he wanted to be. But while he's in jail, he looked for an opportunity to share the good news about Jesus. What about us? From what I can tell, none of us are in jail this morning, or so they're looking for us, right? We're not even in jail. Are we looking for an opportunity to share the good news? Wherever we may be, wherever we are found, Paul was in prison. And yet he asked for prayers that he might be able to share the good news, even while he was in jail. Even while he was in jail. Let's talk about some factors peculiar, specific to Nashville. I mean, after all, that's where we are. Our city has great income inequality. You have the opportunity to travel around town you're going to see that there are some rich people and there are some people that aren't very rich. We've got a wide range of income inequality in this town. That's something we should be looking for. There are people that need help materially, perhaps more than some others do. Our city also has a deep history of racial tension. We've had race problems in this city. I hope and pray, I think, it's better today than it used to be. But that picture right there was taken in downtown Nashville in the early 1960s. Within about 10 days of when the first counter sit-ins started over in North Carolina, they were happening downtown here in Nashville. The, the great civil rights activist, John Lewis, was in Nashville going to school, as I recall, and he was in these sit-ins. Why? They wanted the same rights that everybody else had. They wanted the ability that they could go and use bathrooms, order food, whatever it may be, because as the person wearing the sign that I, I hate that the person had to wear it, but I love that he did, wearing a sign in protest that said, I am a man. Could have had somebody wearing a sign that says, I am a woman. Yes, you are. You are an individual created in the image of God, and you need to hear the good news. Far be it from us to ever cause divisions based on something as insignificant as the shade of somebody's skin. 
Many people come to our city to work and for go to, to go to education. Nashville is known as the Athens of the South. That has been a nickname. Yeah, Music City is the more popular nickname these days. But it had been called the Athens of the South. I, it was done and referred to that way before they built that Parthenon over there in, in the park. Because there were so many colleges and universities. And that's what Athens was known for. Lots of people come to town. This is one of the places to come. All you got to do is see all the houses, all the condos, all the places people are building, trying to give people an opportunity to live. Lots and lots of people are coming to town. What does all that mean to me, to you, for God's plan of how I need to be about his business and looking for the opportunities he's put before me? Let's look specifically at why am I here in 2021? Why am I here now? And that's where Esther 4 comes in. In this passage, there's been a plan hatched by Haman that is designed to kill off all the Jews. Esther is a Jewish woman who is queen in the Persian Empire. And Mordecai goes to her and sends a message to her that says, this is choice time. This is the time to make a decision. You can either act or not, but now's the time. Look what he says to her. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think for to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than any other Jewish person. Haman's plan will get you in the palace. Rest assured of that. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jews from another place. If you decide not to speak up, Relief and deliverance from this plan that Haman has hatched will come. It will just come from some other place. But if you keep silent, you and your father's house will perish. Being in the palace isn't going to stop it if Haman's plan goes through, whether you're in the palace or anywhere else. And then look what he says. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for just such a time as this. Maybe you're in the palace for this reason. Speak up at this time. That was a quote that was put on the side of the road on a congregation's banner down in Memphis, according to my son. Everybody driving by said, and who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows whether each of us are right here for such a time as this. Who knows whether... You might be here simply to invite people that live in your apartment complex to come to church on Sunday. Who knows whether you're here at a time like this to give a lift to somebody so they can come to church services and worship God. Who knows whether you are here in order to spread the good news among people that are hurting. Who knows whether we are all here to bring a smile and make sure everybody knows that God loves them. Why am I here? Why are you here in Nashville on June the 6th, 2021? God put us here. God put us here. And there's a lot of things we can do to help people out. That's an important question. I really want to ask you to think about why am I here? What can I do? What can I do? And 2020 is such a hard time pandemic, mental health has really suffered a lot during 2020. 
people are still suffering from the consequences of the shut-in nature of our society, the lack of being able to, to be around people and interact with people, to, to hug or whatever it may be. The mental health epidemic is real in our cities, in our towns, in our community to a great extent because of COVID and what, all the stuff that went along with it. Well, what can I do with that? I think Romans 12 is really important. Romans 12 is what I have called behave like a Christian. Behave like a follower of Jesus. Each one of these little fragments, if I just focused on a couple of them, would make a difference to people. Look what Paul says here. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Somebody doesn't treat you right, what do you do in response? Oh, yeah? Fire back. Paul says, bless people who persecute you. You can even say, pray for people who persecute you. Do not curse back. Do not get drawn into it. We also need to meet people wherever they are. There are lots of people today who are very, very happy that we've come out of the pandemic, it seems, and they're so happy to be able to have something not covering their face. Let's be happy with people who are happy. But there are still other people who are still concerned. Maybe those who have underlying health conditions who can't be without the mask. People who are still worried. People who are still sorrowful for the losses that have happened during the pandemic. We need to be happy when people, with people who are happy. And we need to be empathetic and sympathetic with those who are not. Those who are not happy. Live in harmony with one another. People who are happy, people who are not happy, all in the same family. We've got to make sure we live in peace and harmony. As an aside, have, have we as a, a group of people in Nashville and Tennessee in the United States been in harmony with one another in the last 12 months? We all know the answer to that. Nope. Maybe we would have had a better result the last 12 months if each of us, each follower of Jesus, had perhaps simply remembered that one statement right there. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. The worst thing people can do is to think of themselves as the big shot. For one thing, there's always a bigger shot. No matter how important we may think we are, there's always somebody better or higher, more power, more money, whatever it may be. The key is... Live in harmony with everyone. Reach out to people because we are all members of God's family, whether big shot or a little less of a big shot or a little shot. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Again, somebody persecutes you, don't keep it back. Don't do it. And look at this last bit. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people, with all individuals. As far as it's up to you, live peaceably. That doesn't mean the person's going to allow peace to occur, but don't cause trouble. Don't fight back. Don't fling it back at somebody else. As far as it depends on me, live where there can be peace. Not everything is worth fighting about. Do I really care if somebody thinks 
A red shirt is the best looking shirt the world ever created. Who cares? Who cares? Thurl's over here with the red shirt. That's what came to mind with the red shirt. If you love that red shirt, I love you for loving that red shirt. I don't care if I think a blue shirt's better. James is over here in the blue shirt. Do I have to fight about everything? Do I have to disagree over everything? Look what he says. If possible, as far as it depends on me, live at peace. Let it go. Let it go. You don't have to argue about everything. Let it go. It doesn't matter. Let it go. Just let it go. We live in a very divisive time. We just talked about that. Yes, we do, right? I mean, we get referred to by colors on a map. There's division all over the place. Well, Jesus lived in a really divisive time, too. He did. I don't think we have anything on that first century in terms of being in a divided society. Think about two of Jesus' apostles. You had Matthew, the tax collector, a collaborator with the Romans, somebody who collected taxes to support the empire that was controlling the land of Israel. And you had Simon the Zealot. Zealots were out to kill anybody who supported the Romans. That would have included Matthew. Simon the Zealot, before he became a follower of Jesus, would have thought nothing about sneaking up behind Matthew and cutting his throat. One less collaborator helping the Romans. I've done my job today. And yet, Jesus called them both to be part of the twelve. Now, if you're Matthew, I suspect the first few nights you're sleeping in the camp, you might very well have been sleeping with that one eye open. Where is Simon? I want to keep my eye on him for fear that he might wake up and just sleepwalk and realize that the tax collector's over here. If Jesus can make Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot brothers, if he can get them to love one another, he can fix anything. He can fix anything if he can make those two. You also had Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, Gentiles, Hellenists. Oh my, that's a tribute to uh, Wizard of Oz. Right? Lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my, oh my, oh my. There were all sorts of divided parties. What's the same today? There's a group in favor of this. There's another group that thinks that group that's in favor of it is going bonkers. And they're not really Americans or whatever the people are going to say today. I don't care. I don't care. Because we are supposed to be citizens of a different kingdom. We are supposed to be children of God living for Jesus as strangers here among the world. And when I get into this kind of way of thinking or that kind of way of thinking, when I allow my identity as a tax collector, as a zealot, as a Pharisee, a Sadducee, a Essene, whatever it may be, to disrupt my ability to think of loving people, I'm failing. I fail. Maybe it shouldn't be a surprise with all the division that was there in that time and division that's here today. Sometimes maybe I don't see eye to eye with all the other Christians who are out and about. Some of my friends and neighbors who were Christians, maybe we're not going to agree all the time. 
What did Romans 12 say? If possible, as much as it depends on me, live at peace. That means that if somebody says, hey, I don't like blah, 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 blah. Well, thank you for uh, telling me that. Uh, I, I'm sorry that you're feeling so strong. You know, there's a friend of mine that has that way. No matter what you tell me, you can just let it slide off. Rather than, oh, yeah? No. How we respond to what people tell us, tell us has a great impact on whether I'm living peaceably or not. What unified the apostles and the early Christians? Jesus did. Jesus did. There were Jews and Gentiles. There were white people and black people who were members of God's family in the first century. There were tax collectors and zealots. What kept them together? What made them focus on the fact that they were brothers and sisters? Jesus did. How did Jesus handle divisive topics? This is a long reading, but I, I love it because it helps keep the eye on the important point. This is from Mark 12. They sent some to him, to Jesus, some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians, that's a political group that was following Herod, to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, uh, I like to imagine the, the, the tone of voice. Teacher, we know that you are true and don't care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. For you are not swayed by, I'm sorry, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? You can imagine almost turning around and going, you got it now. Right? I, this had to have been asked in almost a sarcastic way. Oh, yeah? You're such a great teacher. You don't, you're not swayed by nothing, are you? Tell me this. But knowing their hypocrisy, he, Jesus, said to them, Why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius. That's a coin that was equivalent to a day's wage. It was a common coin of the day. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. But he's going to pay the tax. What kind of tax are we going to pay? Are we going to pay the tax or not? They brought him a coin. He said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is written on the coin? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's, and they marvel at it. What's important? Not the tax rate. What's important? Not whether you've got some kind of unemployment benefit or not. What's important? Not a property tax increase, decrease, whatever it may be. Those are all Caesar's. If we are focusing on Caesar, what are we not focusing on the way we should? Giving things to God that are God's. My entire life belongs to God. <clears throat> he handled divisive topics by reminding people that most of the division are because we're not seeing things clearly. And I'm afraid that's one of our problems many times as well. A couple of other ones. How do we conduct ourselves in the world so that we can accomplish these good works God has provided for us? Matthew 10, 6. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. When we're out trying to do these good works, tailor what you're trying to do to where you may be. Remember, if possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's important to Conduct yourself in a way that best accomplishes what God wants you to do where you are. Ephesians 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, 
who is Christians. We need to be focusing on uh, who is into Christ. We need to be focusing on living for God, not worrying about the other stuff. Not worrying about the other stuff. Always remember Romans 12. So here, how did I do in the last year? How did I do in 2020? How did I do with focusing on looking for the things God's provided for me in 2020? 1 Peter 6. Uh, Peter writing here indicates that there's a lot of trouble that these Christians have been involved in. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. They've been through a lot. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold though it, uh, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, that the genuine nature of your faith after it's been tested, as you see how genuine your faith is, may be found to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your souls, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. They've been under a lot of stress. They've been under a lot of tests. The result should be being stronger in living for Jesus rather than less strong. So again, what about you? What about me? Am I seeking out what it means to follow God right here, right now? How did I do last year? 2 Corinthians 13, Paul said, Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? How do I know Jesus is living in me? How do I know that I am a member of God's family? How do other people know whether Jesus lives in me? It has to be in how I live my life. It has to be in finding those good works not that they're going to save me in any way, but finding those good works so that I can show the love God has for me in my love for other people. Don't fail the test. This next quote is from a very wise man, Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson. He said, from here to the end is what matters, my friend. That's 100% true. God doesn't care about yesterday. He doesn't care about last month. He doesn't care about this morning. He cares with what you do from right now going forward. You failed the test last hour. You failed the test yesterday, last year. Meet the test now. Live for God. Become a member of God's family today as we stand and sing.